WTTM246. This episode of Paul Berry's A Window to the Magic is brought to you by you. Yes, you. Window to the Magic is supported by its listeners and is totally commercial sponsor free. Just pure, family-friendly, and kid-safe entertainment in stunning binaural sound. It takes a lot to keep this show coming to you, and we hope you'll agree that the result is definitely worth the cost. Please support the cause by visiting windowtothemagic.com and signing up for reoccurring support of as little as $3 a month. Together, we can keep the magic alive. You're listening to the Window to the Magic. Dot com podcast brought to you by window to the magic.com surround yourself with the magic hello and welcome to a window to the magic My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is an audio trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 246 of A Window to the Magic the Internet's only listener-supported Disney fan podcast. This show exists entirely because you want it to, and we're glad that you like what we do. This week, the final show of Season 5 of the Window to the Magic podcast. That's right, Window to the Magic is five years old. I've set up a special live connection to Disneyland's Main Street USA, and I have TJ standing by. TJ, come in. Can you hear me, TJ? Hello? TJ, can you hear me? Oh, wait. Hey, TJ. Hey, Paul. This is TJ. And I'm actually in the park today. I'm putting my show together from here on Main Street. Today's show is going to be all about the secrets of Main Street, and by secrets I mean things that even the hardcore fans probably don't know. I've got um, some interviews with, uh, well, Blaine Gibson, Tony Baxter, uh, Matt McKim, and um, Don Iwerks, as well as a few surprises that I'm going to weave into the show, so I'm going to bring out some really good information. Um, But as this is about the secrets of Main Street, we need to start with a big question. From where I'm standing right here, on the railroad platform, overlooking the entire street, I can see from where I am all the way down to the castle. And this street is a mixture of two and three-story mixed-use buildings. Now this street here, many of the buildings on this street, are modeled after specific buildings in one United States city. My first question is, in what city are you going to find these buildings? What what? What town is Main Street USA here at Disneyland modeled after? I think it's going to take us a while to find the right answer, in part because, well, the park perpetuates a certain myth. But but before we get there, let's head out and see if we can find some cast members who might know the right answer. What town is Main Street USA modeled after? Let's go for a walk. I just had a question. I was wondering if... um, Main Street was based on any 
real street or any street in particular? Well, it's sort of, it resembles in some ways Marceline, Missouri, where, um, where Walt Disney spent his younger years. Okay. Hey, is Main Street supposed to be modeled after any particular street? Um, similar to the city that Walt grew up in. Mm -hmm. Marceline, uh, Missouri. Missouri, okay. Well, uh, sort of uh, Marceline, Missouri. Specifically more uh, Missouri, uh, Marceline, Missouri. There Marceline, it is. Missouri, okay. Okay, so far, sadly, no right answers. But let's cut the cast members a break. Well, in part, this is the exact answer they learn in training. Marceline, Missouri. The uh, hometown for Walt's boyhood years. But also the park perpetuates this myth. A little bit later in the show, we'll walk down Main Street and then over to um, Center Street, which is the street that uh, bisects Main Street halfway down. And there at the end of Center Street, over by the lockers, we'll see uh, a facade that says uh, Hotel Marceline, which is also a tribute to the place where Walt grew up. And so the park helps this myth stay alive. This is Walt's boyhood town, but that's not true. Let's head over to the train station and see if maybe someone who works there might come up with the right answer. Hey, is, um, is Main Street supposed to be modeled after any particular city, or is it just? Um, it's, you know, it's rumored to be, it's, you know, it's more impressionist of Walt's childhood home in Marceline, Missouri. Okay. Um, it's just, you know, it's more of an impression. It's nothing per se modeled. It's actually more like his, one of the lead designers named Harper Goff. It actually, Main Street took a lot more from his childhood, because Walt and him had a similar growing up, so. Okay. Yeah. Where was, uh, do you know where Harper Goff was from? Um, some city in Colorado, I believe. Colorado, okay. Harper Goff's quite a fan. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm Leslie Drayton, curator of the Local History Archive at the Fort Collins Museum and Discovery Science Center. The original idea for Main Street was to recreate a middle American, turn-of-the-century town, much like the one where Walt Disney himself had grown up. But in 1954, Walt was a busy man. He was developing Disneyland, he was working on a new TV series, he was also creating a number of theatrical features. And so, he handed the design work for Disneyland areas over to a handful of art directors, most of which he hired away from other Hollywood studios. To one of these art directors, to Harper Goff, he gave the task of designing many Main Street buildings, as well as organizing an overall design component for the entire street. Harper Goff had never been to Walt's hometown, Marceline, Missouri. And so instead, Harper Goff showed Walt Disney photos of his hometown, Fort Collins, Colorado, to see if perhaps these buildings would serve as adequate models for those Walt wanted to build on Main Street. And so, with Walt's approval, Harper Goff went about to creating Main Street, modeled not after Walt's hometown, but modeled after his own. Well, we had it, conf it was confirmed, I get the Disney Insider newsletter and, um, Somebody had asked the question to Dave, Smith. Their, Dave Smith, their yeah. archivist, and he confirmed it that this was, you know, Disneyland was indeed, indeed based on Fort Collins, and but he also gave a nod to to Marceline, Missouri. So the line that they tend to use um, now is that it's the spirit of, you know, ah. 
Eclipse is the spirit of, you know, okay. home, small hometown of Marceline, Missouri. Yeah. Well, I'll accept that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we got out the photo album, the one that contained photos of Fort Collins, as Harper Goff would have known it. Well, um, it's really what's what always strikes me is like in this picture, that's the city hall. Yeah. You know, it has that. I don't know what kind of roof type top, top that's even called. It's probably a name for that. But that is used over and over in Fort Collins buildings. Of course, none of them still stand. You know, they built a city hall and then yeah. we tore down our courthouse in the 50s. But it has that same. I mean, it's so similar. That was our Larimer County courthouse. Um, and then we've got another picture. I was up in Fort Collins once before, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I found the firehouse. And I found yeah, the there's thing. the firehouse. Um, but I was like, "Where's the courthouse? I've seen pictures of the courthouse." Yeah, we, it's, it's gone. <laughs> it's sorry gone. to say. And then the, um, this is a really bad picture, but I have more of Old Main, which was a building on the CSU campus, and it has the same oh, wow. roof line. Um, that was actually burned down in 1970 in a student war protest, so that one's gone as well. At what point in, in Fort Collins history would these buildings have been built? Because they're probably built around the same yeah, decade. Yeah, most of them are 1880s and um, very early 1900s. Okay. So, um, yeah, in fact, I've highlighted all the dates here because there's, there's a handful of buildings. Um, I wrote a little list yesterday. Oh, thank you. Um, of, this is really bad. I was just brainstorming, but I can make it nicer for you. But... Um, yeah, there's a few that are still here, and, and most of them are just the, the 1880s. Um, I think the earliest one is 1881, which was the firehouse. Which was the firehouse. Yeah. And this is kind of weird, because I think they, <coughs> excuse me, they added on pieces, because um, actually the one in Disneyland, if you look, it's kind of rotated. Mm -hmm. And it just has the tower, like, at one end, and then the rest of the building. Well, that's how it usually used to be. And then in later years, they actually added on... Well, this is, it doesn't show it either, but there's more to the building on this side now. Okay. Um, and I've actually been up there. It's really cool. And I've gotten to go down the fire pole. <laughs> but now they've closed it off, so you can't, you can't do it anymore. You've, but, been, up, you've been down the fire pole here in Fort yeah, Collins? Yeah. yeah. No, no, not the one. in. I've climbed up the one in um, Disneyland, but of course they have it all blocked off. They have it all blocked off. Yeah, that was a, a problem back in 55 and 56 before they blocked it off. As yeah. kids would climb up into the go, apartment. Go and above. check out Walt's apartment. That's one of my dreams is to go <laughs> into that apartment and see that. So um, we actually have a small panel in our exhibit upstairs that shows, it does a compare contrast with our firehouse and the Disneyland firehouse. So other buildings, um, I mean, this whole stretch, if you go down there and look at that, I mean, it's totally Main Street. And then this building also was another inspiration. It's the Linden Hotel, which actually was a, I shouldn't have done these double-sided, but I was trying to save paper, but um, that's this building here. Mm -hmm. um, you can see the fire tower. But that was actually a bank first, and then it became a, it's known as a Linden Hotel, and now it's a retail, and um, my mortgage broker actually has an office up there. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you look, I mean, that's kind of like double Oriole window. That's like the only one in town. And mm -hmm. I think on Main Street, I think there are some buildings that have that What's that the window look. called? Double Oriole. It's, double um, Oriole? Yeah, O-R-I-E-L. Okay. Yeah, um, there are definitely ones on Main Street that have that yeah. look. Yeah. Especially if you go back in the little side streets there, which mm -hmm. is what I usually just do and sit and absorb. What do you know about Harper Goff and his connections to Fort Collins? Well, I, you know, I don't know a whole lot. I brought out his vertical file. Um, born in 1911, Fort Collins, Colorado. Later moved with his family to Santa Ana, California. So I don't know how long he was even here. Yeah. Um, but that's something I could probably find out. I could email information to because we have all the city directories, so I could even trace oh, wow. the family if we wanted to and. Um, figure out 
what they did. You know, the city directories are great because it'll often list a profession for the for the parents. Yeah, that'd be so. an interesting thing to know. Yeah, but we don't have. I looked in all of our photos because we have a really good photo collection here, and I couldn't find a single one of him. You know, as a boy. So. Hmm. Oh well. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, the uh, <coughs> the original story was is that you know Main Street was going to be somehow a replica or revisioning of Walt's childhood and. Mm -hmm. Really what it is, it's a revisioning of Harper Goff's childhood. Yeah, that's kind of fun. <laughs> Harper Goff's childhood. Well, you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. And then we went out and took a look at the old Fort Collins, what's left of the historic district. It's lovely. And it's a lot like walking out on Main Street, only with real shops and stoplights and cars. We're, so tell us about, tell us Linden Street. Okay. Okay. So Linden Street runs right here, it's uh, north to south, and this was our first main street in Fort Collins because the original fort of Fort Collins was actually right down there at the end, and Jefferson Street marked the southern boundary of Fort Collins, okay. so the Cachalapuda River is right over there, that's where they built the fort. Okay. And they built it parallel to the river, and that's why um, some of the old town is pie-shaped because later they straightened up the streets, so we have these like diagonal streets. So the railroad came in down there, and um, this was like the one-stop shop. There was a brothel down at the corner, bakery, jewelry <laughs> store. It had it all. Now, so. now at Disneyland, there was never a brothel, but um, for six months, <laughs> there was um, a Victoria's Secret style uh, yeah, bazaar shop. The yeah, the Wizard of Bras. The Wizard of Bras, yeah, Hollywood <laughs> exactly. Maxwell shop, yeah. Oh, I wish I'd been able to see that. <laughs> what was immediately apparent was this street not only looked like Main Street at Disneyland, but was laid out like Main Street at Disneyland. At one end was the old railroad station, and at the other end was a place where, a while ago, was a roundabout with a grass center, a roundabout that had radial spokes, streets leading off it, well, much like the hub at Disneyland. And then we started comparing old Fort Collins to Disneyland. Yeah. So when I say like the two-story buildings over there, I know you have some three-story buildings yeah, too. But you know, especially when they have like the, the identical rectangular windows and the roof uh -huh. ornamentation, and uh, the different businesses are divided by different color buildings. That yeah. looks very, very much like yeah. Main I'll show you when we walk around the college. There's a little spot that looks so Disneyland to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, this stuff totally, totally does. We just need to hear like flittering playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start singing that from time to time. And another thing is the clock. The clocks. Because I think they have, isn't there a clock like that in Disneyland? There are clocks like that at Disneyland, which um, they bought used. I mean, I have to check because it's not coming to my, the front of my, um, my, uh, my brain at the moment, but they did buy those <laughs> clocks used um, from a city. But yeah, oh. they're exactly like that. Yeah, um, I know there's still a wooden Indian at Disneyland where they used to have a tobacco shop. There's actually two. Oh, really? There's one there and there's one in Frontierland. Oh, they're you're identical. Right, you're right, you're right. Well, we used to have one too, because we used to have a big cigar industry in Fort Collins. And um, I think I might have a picture of it, but totally, I mean, it's just like, it's Disneyland. <laughs> they totally copied it. So here's more storefronts. Yeah. Where's the uh, firehouse? Oh, right down here. This is the firehouse right here. Oh, the firehouse. And we might swing back around this way so you can get a better view. So like some of the things that I see are, you, you have that, Roof ornamentation you see all over Disneyland. Yeah. Plus you have the mixture of two and three story buildings with yeah. shop fronts down below and then supposedly like mixed use um, living spaces above. 
Do you want to go see the yes. poll? Let's go, let's go in. Okay. The poll's still here? The firehouse, which looks exactly like the Disneyland firehouse, is now a coffee shop and bookstore. Hi. <laughs> do you, do you uh, own the uh, coffee shop, run the coffee shop? I run it. She owns it. <laughs> you run it? She... Do, do people ever come in here a- asking about, is this the inspiration for the Disneyland firehouse? Has that ever come up? It's never once come up? Disneyland? Yeah. No. Not well known. Not well known. <laughs> uh, the art director that worked um, for Disney, in the, he started in 53, 52 or 53, I believe, um, was from Fort Collins and used Fort Collins um, as the inspiration for our number of buildings <laughs> that are towards the front of the park. Really? So no one's ever, no one, how long have you guys been here? Okay, six, seven months. So no one's ever once walked in and asked. Right. It's about the firehouse, but not at many relations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a well kind of secret. When I, I used to do walking tours and yeah. around here, and people were always shocked. So they really? use the firehouse's inspiration as the entrance? No, not the entrance. It's right at the entrance. Oh. Um, if you walk into the park, it's on the left-hand side. Are you talking about in California? In California, yeah. Well, and now you know more about the old Port Collins firehouse than the people that presently work there. But let's work our way back to California now, to Main Street, USA, at Disneyland. So during the Fort Collins segment, the band has now come out on Main Street. I think we should listen to just one number. And Paul, I know the number that's for you. But don't go away, because after that, we're going to continue down Main Street. There's lots of more secrets and information coming up. But here, the All-American College Band.
I'm walking down Main Street now. On the left, behind the uh, Emporium, over there, well, those are the trees of Adventureland. The jungle starts just 20 feet behind, uh, behind, these, uh, behind these structures. And over there on the right, behind Main Street, there's, um, well, there's nothing, actually. There's a large open space for cast members, there's storage, there's a few sheds. That's where they put the floats before and after the parade. Um, and so, up here, this is Center Street. Center Street is the street that uh, bisects Main Street halfway down. We're going to turn right onto Center Street over by the lockers. We're moving down towards the lockers. And in this next segment, um, well, we're going to explore all of the things that once might have been built back there in that empty area. It's probably the most interesting area of the park in terms of things that were never built. To understand what was going to be built behind Main Street, we need to go back to 1955. Shortly after Disneyland opened, Walt wanted to expand it, to add new lands and new rides. Each Saturday morning, he would tour the park with his designers. This is Bill Martin, one of the original Disneyland designers, talking about those Saturday tours with Walt Disney. Oh, uh... We went down to the park, Walt would meet us down there. For the walk first. And there was Nick, Nick Irvine, myself, Joe Fowler, and uh, we walked through the whole park. Well, they could see what was working and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I would bring down my drawings that I had made for the, during the week. We'd go over them there and they get the OKs or whatever the events whatever Walt wanted or felt they could study again or to work on. And, uh, and I'd take them back to the studio and get to work. One of the things that Bill Martin worked on was International Street. International Street, a world bazaar that would have paralleled Main Street would have featured shops and exhibits from 14 European countries, an English village, an Italian courtyard. Some buildings were designed with a diagonal storefront, so that when you approached them from one direction, they presented the architecture of Greece, and when you approached them from the other direction, they presented the architecture of Spain. This is a drawing. Yeah, that's my drawing. You remember what it's for? Yeah. This was a new area on to be adjacent to Main Street. We never did it, of course. Never did it, that's right. You remember when you made those drawings? Park was open. Now, I'm very curious. This was, this was based on the, uh, what we call this, what was that famous bridge in London? London Bridge. London Bridge. Yeah. Right. I see you, I, I haven't taught, heard about them <laughs> mentioning this stuff for so long. Why wasn't this area ever built? You know, we did a lot of things that never happened. Yeah. We made many sketches, many ideas. This is one of them. Walt Disney announced plans to build International Street in 1955, the same year the park opened. But about a year later, these plans were put aside. And another plan for this area was put into development. 
Liberty Street, a recreation of colonial America. The cement and asphalt of Main Street would transition to cobblestones. On Liberty Street, you'd find Paul Revere's silver shop, a blacksmith, a glassblower, and of course, the Liberty Tree. A large show building known as Liberty Hall would hold two shows. One theater would present the signing of the Declaration of Independence. The other, the Hall of Presidents. One problem, as this was the late 1950s, the technology did not exist to create audio animatronic figures. That is, there was no way to sync sound and movement. The figures for each of these shows were largely mannequins capable of limited movement. But this concept, too, was never built. Edison Square, a street that combined the architecture of old New York with that of old Philadelphia. Brownstone walk-ups beside red brick tenement houses. As you entered Edison Square, you'd walk past the statue of Thomas Edison. You'd leave the openness of Main Street and enter an urban turn-of-the-century cul-de-sac. No cobblestones this time. The street would be paved with bricks. The big attraction, a show called Harnessing the Lightning, which told the story of America's reliance on electricity. The show essentially had four acts, four separate stages. A production that followed one family from 1898 up through the present and then into the future. Now I realize that this sounds a lot like a later Disneyland attraction, the Carousel of Progress. But in this version, there was no rotating theater. Guests simply walked from stage to stage. But this too, never built. There's so much artwork of concepts of things that never happened. This is Matt McKim. His father was Sam McKim, another original designer of Disneyland. And uh, Edison Square was one of those. And, and they went quite far with actually the design. And um, someone decided it was, it was not a good idea. So um, there's, there's also the, uh, uh, what was it, Mexico, Bienvenido, I think it was Mexico. Um, little alley where the lockers are at the end there. Um, they were actually going to change that out uh, with different countries. There would be China, there would be uh, Mexico and, and such. And this is the next concept for that little alleyway and that triangular space behind Main Street. To have an international garden, there would be Mexico and China and Japan and Germany, maybe other countries. But the most important of these was China. And in this concept, the east end of Center Street, roughly where the lockers are now, would be turned into Chinatown. The great attraction of this area would be a sit-down restaurant. After the meal, the dining hall would come alive. A wooden dragon, once a large wall ornament, would breathe smoke and fire and tell jokes. A chorus of real-life singers would be accompanied by a chorus of animatronic birds. Most impressively, 
a talking animatronic human figure named Confucius would address the audience. In the short time since Walt Disney shelved Edison Square, his designers had made significant advances in animatronic figures, so much so they were now able to produce lifelike birds and even had started work on a human animatronic. Yeah, that was, that was the beginning of animatronic. This is Disney legend Don Iwerks, who, in the late 50s, worked in the machine shop. I mean, what was your role in working with it? Oh, just, uh, we were in the shop building parts for it. Mm -hmm. And we found this, you know, this rubber mask of a Chinaman, uh, I don't know, in a gag shop or Halloween shop or something, and tied it, made up a little mechanism to tie the lips together. And it, and it was done initially with a, with a device that was a coil that you could energize the coil with different voltages to get it to draw. It was like a solenoid. It would pull an armature and it could move, it was, it could move the mouth, it was made in a way that it could move the mouth open and closed. So you could get, get it to open a little bit, just, just barely. But it didn't have all of the pinches and everything that they've come up with since. Those all became little, little cylinders and feedback systems and pretty complicated. But the beginning one was just trying to get this little head to get some mouth movement. And even though the studio eventually got the entire head working, this attraction, too, never built. For decades, no major attractions were developed for this prime piece of real estate. And then, in the early 1990s, the Walt Disney Company announced that this area would become Hollywood land, the golden land of movies, as it existed in the 1930s. There would be at least six rides and attractions, including the Great Movie Ride, Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers, which would be a fast-paced car ride through the local underworld, Toontown Trolley, which would be a simulator ride through the world of Roger Rabbit, Baby Herman's Runaway Baby Buggy, a mild coaster also zipping through Toontown. But after the Disney version of Dick Tracy underperformed at the box office, the entire land was eventually scrapped. But nothing at Disneyland really goes away. International Street eventually evolved into World Showcase at Epcot. Liberty Street, complete with the Hall of Presidents, became Liberty Square at Walt Disney World. Edison Square developed into the Carousel of Progress. The singing birds from that Chinatown restaurant, well, they got their own show. And elements of Hollywoodland were eventually absorbed into Toontown. And as for that prime piece of land behind Main Street, well, that expanse, well, back there the parade floats still line up. There's a cast member restaurant but mostly, the space is just empty. Okay, I'm back on Center Street, and I'm walking down Main Street. It is really packed in the park tonight, so I hope you all can hear me. Um, we're looking for a building that's marked the Palm Parlor, where the Palm Reader is. 
Um, it's a shop that's now just a facade. You can't actually go into what used to be the uh, Palm Reader. It's right next to the Silhouette Shop, and I'm almost there. Um, here we are. It's a white and blue facade, two-story, and it has a porch. And even now on the porch, there's um, a, a bench and a closed door. The door just opens into storage. There's nothing behind that door. But this is the place where the famed Wizard of Bras shop used to be. For six months, um, for six months when Disneyland first opened, there used to be a Victoria's Secret style lingerie shop right here in Disneyland. And well, here's the story of the Wizard of Bras. To understand the Wizard of Bras, you first need to understand that back in 1955, Disneyland leased retail shop space to actual stores, a jam shop, a music shop, a tobacco shop. But as opening day approached, store space was still empty. Many Disneyland execs pitched in to fill the shops. Walt even persuaded his personal doctor to operate massage machines on Main Street. And the first general manager of Disneyland, C.V. Wood? I'm the strongest son of a German in life. Yep, that's him. That's Woody. He persuaded his friends, who owned Hollywood Maxwell Bras, to open an intimate apparel shop on Main Street. Look in the mirror and see the story of fashion. Like all stories, it has two sides. But since fashion is a lady, the world can only know half of it. The truth is that even in Granny's day, being a doll required a lot of pull. As you walk up to the shop, you'll find a matronly old woman, a lifelike mannequin rocking back and forth on the porch. And once inside, you'll discover that one part of the store showcases the intimate apparel of the 1890s, a traditional Victorian shop. And the other part of the store showcases the intimate apparel of today, old bras and new bras. In the center of the room is another mannequin, the wizard himself, complete with wand. On the tables, there are these 3D illusion boxes that show the intimate apparel of the past. And the store staff, of course, is there to answer any questions you might have about the full line of Hollywood Maxwell bras and corsets. Those 90s were supposed to be gay, but it took a lot of work to be stylish, and most of it was undercover as this makes clear. Needless to say, Granny's secrets were well hidden. Why, she'd turn green with envy if she could see the lift today's girl gets from our low-cut Viet. It's designed for wear under a casual sweater or deep-throated shirt. Then for a change of mood, there's the new and intoxicating pink champagne that lends its own sweet shape to you. You see, modern girls have so many fashions to choose from, it takes a wizard to keep them in shape. That's why Hollywood Maxwell designs a bra for every fashion. As you might have guessed, C.B. Wood's personality, well, didn't really match the personality of the park. And when he left, February 1st of 1956, Hollywood Maxwell's intimate apparel shop, The Wizard of Bras, it left with him. Okay, we're heading down Main Street again. We're moving towards the castle, gradually, slowly. And well, it's evening here and they're already starting to rope off the hub for the fireworks display later tonight. 
And I think as we all know, for decades now, um, someone dressed as Tinkerbell has flown from the Matterhorn down to the castle, or from the Matterhorn all the way over to Frontierland in the old days. Um, but I've got a really great story about Tinkerbell in which, well, at one time, Tinkerbell wasn't just going to fly from the Matterhorn down to the castle. Tinkerbell was going to fly the length of Main Street. Yes. I was wondering if you could tell me the story about the Tinkerbell that you built with Bill Justice to fly over the park. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is Tony Baxter, Senior Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering. We thought, wouldn't it be great, instead of having Tinkerbell go up on a wire that you could absolutely see, usually, and it didn't spoil the magic because it was a real person, and that's pretty testy <laughs> going down that wire, so there was thrill in that. But wouldn't it be great if we had a much smaller, less-than-human scale figure of Tinkerbell that could literally circle the castle, fly back up to the Matterhorn, literally go all over the park. That'd be so cool. <laughs> we took a helicopter one of these model helicopters that they use in the motion pictures for, uh, you know, for miniatures. And also they use them for reconnaissance and getting pictures in an area that you wouldn't want to fly over. And we got one of those, stripped it all down, got it down to about 10 pounds, and built a shell of a small little girl, fairy. And then we put the wings on it. And uh, what was great about the helicopter blades is when they were spinning, it looked like a flutter over the back and we were able to muffle the motor enough that with all the music and everything it was virtually silent and then in Tinkerbell's arm we put one actuator that allowed her arm to go down and sprinkle fairy dust so we had some glitter in the a little in the wand that would spill out when she lowered it and there'd be this whole thing of glitter well I remember the night we launched her from the center of the castle uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, weather, or the north, south, east, west, we launched her from there, flew her up, and it did everything, every single thing that we wanted it to do. And the park was closed, but there were people that were on the maintenance shift that ran out from all over when this thing was up there, and it, it was like close encounters when her flight was over and she came back down. There must have been 150 people gathered in the hub around this space, and uh, she came down. And, and we thought, this is it, this is a home run, this is the best thing anyone's ever seen. And then someone said, have you thought about if someone gets the codes you're using to program the flight and jams it or takes control of it? And then all of a sudden there was a wet blanket that fell over the whole crowd and that was kind of the end of it, sadly. Oh. Yeah. Okay, and now for this episode, I just have one more secret to talk about. That's it, we're down to the last one. We're pushing down Main Street again. We are looking for the hub. Um, there's a lot of people here right now, so I'm gonna do my best to navigate around them. But specifically what I wanna look for is the partner statue, which is in the center of the hub. Um, and well, last year, I spent the afternoon with Blaine Gibson. Blaine Gibson is a uh, Disney legend. He was one of the original um, uh, web designers back in the 1950s and well he was the person who in his retirement sculpted the partner statue and I wanted to get the story from him of well how he got to sculpt that statue and also what he felt Walt was looking at Walt standing in that statue next to Mickey with two fingers raised pointing down Main Street 
a gleam in his eyes as though he's focusing on something in particular. And here's the story and Blaine Gibson's answer. Well, uh, I did have a chance to study Walt because, as I said, he came in and he sat with, with me off and on all the, for the whole pirate ride and much of uh, uh, the Jungle Cruise, the redo of that, and uh, all these shows. He was very much into it with all of us. Uh, during Walt's heyday on TV, he was a full guy. He looked like Uncle Walt to me at that time. And so I thought, I'm going to make him not the slim young Walt, but maybe a little more like this older guy, but just a guy that could be Uncle Walt. First, the e-ticket asked me what I thought Walt was saying. Uh, I, I, I thought of something right after they left that I thought was more of what Walt would be saying to Mickey. And that was that, uh, see Mickey, of course Mickey's too short, he couldn't see anything. But I said, see Mickey, see all the happy people? That's what it's all about. And Walt could see them because he's up and he could see them coming in. But Mickey's down here, so he looks up at Walt. Well, that's the way a little kid would do it, in my opinion. And so he's looking up at Walt, and that ties them together. So I wanted that to be a unit and not something separate. And with that, we've made it all the way down Main Street. I'm here at the end of Main Street, and as I turn around, I'm right by the castle. As I turn around and look up Main Street, well, I can see the, uh, the hub which really does look like a roundabout, just like that grassy roundabout that once existed in Fort Collins, Colorado. And then down the street to those two and three-story mixed-use buildings, and then at the far end, the train depot. Before I go, I've got one more thing to mention. If you've enjoyed this discussion of the early days of Disneyland, its construction and the things that were never built here, I'm pretty sure that you'll enjoy our DVD the original Disneyland in the 1950s, which pieces together home movies from over 50 families to give you a land-by-land -land tour of Disneyland as it existed over a half a century ago. Well, with that, I'm gonna sign off for this episode. I'm gonna leave you with a little more music um, from the All-American College Man. This has been the Secrets of Main Street episode. Now, these aren't the only secrets that exist here on Main Street, there's more. But that might be another show, or maybe we'll do a Secrets episode of another land where we can bring in voices of the people who helped design and construct those lands as well. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. Here's the All-American College Band once more. See you next time. like to thank you all for listening to A Window to the Magic as we officially conclude our fifth year of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. As we turn five, I would like to thank those who support the show both financially and in so many other ways. 
I would especially like to thank the Window to the Magic DVD of the Month Club members, those who have purchased the Window to the Magic podcast app, those who now support the show through a recurring donation, and Michael Mafoda and the Bluestone Creative Group for helping to make the magic happen. We always appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. Call us at 206-984-9886. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WTTM. And you can add us as your friend on Facebook. Be sure to join us again on August 1st as we celebrate the beginning of Season 6 of the Window to the Magic podcast with a celebration that could only happen and could only happen live at Disneyland. But for now, this has been the first five years of A Window to the Magic. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is a member of the Friends of the Magic family of podcasts. For information about this show and others like it, please visit friendsofthemagic.com and click on the podcasts link on the main page. Some days you eat the bear, and some days the bear eats you. But always dress for the hunt! Come to the Come to the Surround yourself with the magic. Hello?